We are continuing our study of Pirkei Avos, Ethics of Our Fathers. We are in Chapter 1, Mishnah 18. In the Green Arts Scroll big volume, we are on page 52. Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel Omer, Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel says, it is a kind of a large discussion, the identity as to this Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel. The prevailing opinion seems that he is the father of Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, Yehuda Hanasi being the author of the <clears throat> summary version of the oral Torah, or what we call the Mishnah. Rabbi Shimon Gamliel being Rabbi Yehuda, the prince's father. That seems to be the prevailing opinion. And also he himself, meaning Rabbi Shimon Gamliel himself, is the grandson of a different Rabbi Shimon, whose father's name was Rabbi Gamliel. So... They seem to have been, con uh, you know, continuing the, uh, the the names in in the family, and it's interesting that this Rabbi Shimon Gamliel was a nasi or a leader, which was uh, kind of the um, really the de facto leader of the Jewish people when we had the nasi. Um, it was both a political position and an authoritative position. And he served as an Asi during the Bar Kokhba rebellion, and he himself went into hiding at that time. And so the commentary in the bottom, it says that this tumultuous time, therefore, kind of explains a little bit his interest in the subject that he's about to mention, which is that the world exists on three concepts. Um, he was also known to be extremely humble, and he compares himself to a jackal, which is some form of a wolf or some sort, some sort of canine. And Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, who was the famous uh, author of the Zohar, who also went into hiding at that time as a lion. So he's like kind of taking a back seat to comparing himself to Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, and that speaks to his humility. So anyways, that's background on who Rabbi Shimon Gamil is. Now he says that the world exists on three concepts or three topics. And they are al-hadin, which means on the judgment, the al-ha-emes, and upon the truth, the al-ha-shalom, and upon the harmony. We prefer, I prefer to translate shalom as harmony as opposed to peace, because as my father explains, peace is an absence of fighting. Harmony is a presence of synergy and working together, which are two very, very different concepts. Of course, uh, it's good to have both, right? We don't want uh, fighting also, and higher level and not fighting is having harmony. Now, we'll finish the Mishnah with the quote that it brings from the prophet Zechariah. And as it says, MS umishpat shalom, shiftu b'sha'arechem. So very often in Hebrew, you have to kind of translate out of the order of the Hebrew. So really the last two words, shiftu b'sha'arechem, means to judge or adjudicate in your cities or in your gates. Emes u'mishpat shalom, which means truth and a judgment of shalom, of harmony. So there's a lot to talk about in all this, but I just wanted to get the picture of the Mishnah first. So he says the world exists on three things, judgment, truth, and harmony, as the sentence says, that a truthful judgment of harmony, or 
truth and a judgment of harmony. A little bit depends on how you want to translate that sentence. You shall judge in your gates or in your cities. Now, there's a very interesting question that the commentaries have to deal with here. And that is that he seems to kind of be saying something very similar to an earlier Mishnah. And this earlier Mishnah, which is the second Mishnah in Pirkei Avos, says that the world stands on three things, Torah, Avoda, which is service, and Gemilus Hasadim, which is acts of kindness. So that seems similar, but on the other hand, it's totally different. So the question becomes, is like, are they arguing? Is Shimon Atzadik say, listen, in order for the world to exist and to stand, you need Torah, Avoda, and Gemilus Hasadim. Comes along with Shimon Gamliel says, much later, uh, because we know that there is a, a descendancy happening here in the generations of passing the mantle of the oral law and its important observances and institutions of the time. So much later, he's saying, no, 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 not Torah, service, and acts of charity. Rather, it's judgment, truth, and harmony. I think we could all agree, probably need all six. So what really is the disparity how do, how do we have two different, for those of you who are like sporting trifectas of perfection, how do we have two different, uh, you know, sort of categories of, you know, putting together three elements? Uh, are they arguing or do they somehow work in consonance with each other? Another very good point, which some of the commentaries also point out, is that the first Mishnah says on three things, the world is omade. The word omade means to stand. And the second Mishnah says, on three things, the world, kayam, which means to exist, or to perhaps survive, or loosely stand. So the question becomes, what's the real difference between omade and kayam, which is also a very interesting um, concept. So I'm going to go through a little bit with what the commentaries say, then I'm going to kind of suggest my idea, and I'm going to leave it up to you to decide if I'm saying something different than what these commentaries say, or maybe what I'm saying is an explanation or somehow everything's working together, it doesn't really matter to me. What matters to me is that we have some kind of explanation that we think we can understand regardless of who says it. So the way that the commentary explains the Rabbeinu Yonah, who's one of the premier commentaries to Pirkei Avot and one of the, our greatest sages, uh, one of the Rishonim, Rabbeinu Yonah, what he says, is that the world was created for the realization of the three goals that were enunciated by the earlier Mishnah, by Mishnah 2, by Shimon Atzadik. But in a way, that's the ideal, meaning we need Torah, we need Avodah, divine service, we need acts of charity, and, and we need that to be ubiquitous. And then the world is like, you know, humming at the kind of ideal um in the ideal way. Whereas our Mishnah is a toned down version of the ideals. And as long as there's a prevalence of justice, din, truth, MS, and peace or harmony, shalom, then the world can continue. And apparently one of the commentaries tries to explain it. It's like when you're heating a pot of water. Before it gets to the boiling point, it's getting warm and it's getting warmer. Once it's boiling, okay, now you're now you're really happening. So he compares the first mission to like the boiling. The intensity of Torah, 
avoda and gemilus chasadim, that brings the world to a healthy, positive cooking state. As they say in the Deep South, now we're cooking with gas. That's uh, the way people like to describe that. Now we're really talking. Whereas the second Mishnah is more of a toned down version that says, listen, as long as you have a prevalence of justice, truth, and harmony, then the world exists. Now, that's the Rebbein Yonah. Again, I'm going to give a different explanation momentarily. We'll talk a little bit more. But I do want to point out that it's a little disheartening to ask ourselves over the last 30 years, how's the world doing on this justice, truth, and peace? And we seem to have been witnessing a degradation of these things, and that doesn't bode well for the world being able to be kayam, right? So obviously, if we can make some headway here, maybe we can help ourselves in the world at large. So an earlier commentary says, uh, basically the Rambam, that all of creation is worthwhile, even if there's only one righteous person in the world, and that the teaching of Shimon HaTzadik, the earlier Mishnah, Mishnah 2, is saying this person who himself embodies this one person, the Torah, the Avod, and the Milus Hasadin, he can give the world a reason to exist. The world can stand, you know, if you picture that old um, like image of Atlas holding up the globe on his back or whatever, right? So you have this one righteous person that represents a, a complete picture of Torah, Avoda, and Gemilut Hasadin, the world can stand. Whereas the next Mishnah, our Mishnah, Mishnah 18, is describing that we're looking for a world to be filled with a society of people that practice judgment together, practice truth together, and also um, have shalom. That's another explanation. So I would like to suggest that Really, there is a simple way to break this down, and that is as follows. And again, you can decide if it's similar, I'm explaining, or it's different, whatever you want. I think that there's always the theory of something, and then there's the practice of it. And I think that we should understand these two Mishnahis basically in two levels. First of all, when we talk about Torah, what do we mean? It's a very wide subject. You know, world stands on Torah. Does that mean what we're doing right now? Does that mean uh, reading the Torah in shul, right? Somebody is standing there and reading the Torah. Is that what it means, the Torah? Or does it mean we're not learning in a class, we're just sitting at home, we open a book, and we're learning Torah? What do we mean by the Torah? And then the same thing I would say is avoda. What's avoda? Is avoda when I'm going to sleep so I can wake up early to go to shul? Or is it when I go to shul? Which one is the avoda? Is it... You know, so it's very broad when we talk about the topics of Torah, Avod, and Gdilus Hasadim. There's so many different ways to do acts of kindness, giving someone a compliment, helping an old lady across the street, helping somebody find a job, right? These are vastly different things. What do we really mean by uh, inviting people for, you know, a, a meal in the house? What do we really mean by giving us Hasadim? So like many things, I think that, you know, as we get older, we all experience this more. When we used to describe, let's say, for example, um, you know, getting a job, we probably think it means, uh, for most of my generation and certainly earlier, it means working at least, at least eight or nine hours a day, right? And every day, 
And okay, maybe you get a few days off a year, or if you're really lucky, you get three weeks off a year. That's called a job. Right, so that would be our concept of it. But if you talk to people today <laughs> about what a job is, well, you know, I need flexible hours. Um, I work four days a week, maybe, usually three and a half, right? And then I need extra time for the extra long, you know, vacations. Then I need a me day. Can't, can't exist without a me day. And by the way, I'm often not feeling well. And then when I'm in the office, I do my Amazon orders, right? That's kind of what working means today. So to, uh, to us who existed in an earlier time, like seriously, that's what you call avoda, right? Like that's not avoda, right? Or Torah, oh, you know what Torah is? Torah is, I went to Shul twice this month. I heard the rabbi speak twice and for half the time I was paying attention, right? There you go, that's my Torah study. So again, for those of us in our generation, we don't really think of that as Torah. So comes along the first Mishnah and says, listen guys, it's all about the Torah, the Avod, and the Gminos Hasadim. Comes along with Shimon Gamliel a few generations later, and as we mentioned, in a very tumultuous time in our history, saying, listen, I'm not going to sit here and talk about how many hours you need to study, what volumes you need to learn, you know, um, what does it mean to service, you know, how long you should have Shimon Esrei, and, you know, how many acts of kindness per day you're doing. What I am going to talk about is you need a functioning society that's based actually on real judgment, Right? You need to be able to know that when you say something, you're saying the truth, and when the other person is saying it, they're saying the truth. Again, unfortunately, we don't know that anymore. And then, you know, I would say the parallel of that is shalom. Right? As long as we're getting along, hopefully that means we're doing enough for each other. Even if you don't graduate from peace to harmony, hopefully we're not fighting. Hopefully that means we're coexisting. At least we're kind of good neighbors to one another. So the point is, is that the practical implementation of those concepts at a minimum needs to be that we have functioning societies that are basically reliable in these three areas. So the din, the judgment, which is our Mishnah, is a way of saying you got to take the Torah, make it practical and be able to adjudicate disputes and make sure that things are done, so to speak, correctly. Right? Then you need the MS, which means that whatever you want to say about Avoda, which is that we have real responsibilities, we have to really live up to them. One thing is for sure, it has to be that we're speaking the truth and we can rely upon what's being said so that a person can deal in the world of reality as opposed to, I don't know, you know, all this other garbage that we talk about too often, like, you know, a male is not a male and uh, it makes sense to have build a family with two people of the same gender, right? All that, you just can't have a society so you could talk all you want about davening to Hashem and having moral um, responsibilities and obligations and work to do. But if at the end of the day, we're not dealing with truth, we can't have a functioning society. And then lastly, the same thing with shalom, which is, again, that the kindness factor has to at least graduate to the point where we're not at each other's throats. We're not trying to kick each other out of the shul or out of the neighborhood, etc. Okay. So therefore, it's a practical implementation, I'm suggesting, in many ways of the earlier mission, which might deal a little bit with the question of what's the difference between Omeid and the difference between Kayam. And one of the commentaries does say this. We can loosely say that Omeid, which means stand, implies a, a certain stability right, and solidity. Right? The thing is standing, it's not going to fall. Whereas Kayam 
means we can subsist or exist on it, but it doesn't mean it's not in danger of teetering. And so what's going to come out is what's hopefully going to be most helpful to us is that the more we abide by the first Mishnah, the more likely it is that we're going to build that society that the second Mishnah is talking about. And let's not even talk about the large society. Let's just talk about our families and leadership within our families. So if we spend hours a week studying Torah, if we figure out how the Torah applies to our life, not only in a formal court case, but how we judge what we do in our lives based on what we're learning in the Torah and how we fix it and correct it. And, you know, let's just give a crazy example, like actually talk nicely to our wife in the morning when we're running out the door, right? If we take the Torah and make it part of how we behave and our din, so to speak, then it's much more likely that we're going to be building a society where din will be judgment, uh, proper adjudication of civil laws will be done. And the same thing with the, the truth and the shalom. So I think that that's, uh, for our purposes, a practical approach. We need to immerse ourselves more in the question of what is Torah? What is an immersive Torah study? What is an immersive avoda practice? I'll give an example of all these in a second. And what is an immersive gemilut chasadim practice? So here is what I suggest. Just very simple. And obviously, this is really just, you know, suggestions that everybody... I think should choose their own and come up with their own examples. But I think an immersive Torah study for our purposes, everybody should decide if their learning is the maximum they can do a week or can they add at least a half an hour? Yeah, I'm saying everybody in this call, am I doing the most that I can do or can I add a half an hour a week, right? But in addition to that, aside from the classes that I'm attending, am I bothered with a Torah question upon which I am working. I can tell you that that's one of the outstanding features of my father for all people who knew him for all the years. And Rabbi Gil is on the call, and I'm sure he can verify this. My father was always thinking about a question in learning, always. And that's something that we could incorporate. That would be an immersive Torah study concept. So when you're, like it says in the Shema, when you're walking on the road or you're lying in, you know, sitting in your house, whatever, you have something to think about, question that you're working on. So that would be an immersive Torah study concept. Then if we move over to Avoda, I would say very, very simple, because uh, Avoda is a very big subject, davening is a big subject, serving Hashem is a big subject. I would say very simple, just make sure that before you daven Shmona Esrei, you know very clearly two things for which you are praying. Ideally, you daven, you know, the three Shmona Esreis a day, but really make sure that you are clear about two things for which you are praying. Say all the words, but no two priorities, write it down on a piece of paper. I always tell people stick it in your pocket. I'm praying for these two things. I'm praying to have a better relationship with my wife or children. I'm praying uh, for financial, you know, success and, and comfort so that I can, you know, have peace of mind. I'm praying for, you know, health for, you know, this person or that person. Just two things. That makes it a much more reality, I think, and uh, intensive experience. And finally, when it comes to the Milut Hasadim, another very simple suggestion is we typically think of the weekend, whether it's Shabbos or other activities that we do on the weekend where we interact with other people. Okay, with whom do we want to interact this Shabbos? Not with 
who could use our friendship this Shabbos? That's a much more gemilut chasadim approach, okay, or this Sunday. But with whom would it benefit that we could encourage or help? Obviously, if a person needs food, you know, those are extreme examples that exist. That's certainly a good thing. But even if it's just uh, making somebody feel a little loved, or maybe they have other things going on in their life, that would be a much better approach, I think, to gemilut chasadim rather than um, I gave tzedakah in the pushka this morning, or I quote-unquote, help an old lady across the street. Okay, so let's stop there for the explanation of this Mishnah and take questions and comments, and then we'll move to the right time. There's no question. Something just came to my mind. I think it was, there's a high who said after he lost the temple. Say the first part again? Oh, it's been yeah. yeah. So Joseph is saying a, a really beautiful thought. He's saying, you know, one of the things that we all struggle with is, uh, you know, there doesn't seem to be a central authority or, or system by which we can reliably, um, you know, follow their decisions and, you know, their strategies. For example, what should we do about Gaza, right, et cetera. Uh, nobody knows where to go into some sort of central body that, that speaks on behalf of our people that our people follow. But... He says, Rabbi Yochman Zakei recommends that when everything was falling apart and he ultimately, you know, asked for Yavne uh, to exist, that he was really promoting the idea of doing kindness for each other. And so Joseph is suggesting that if we would really just focus tremendously on helping one another, that would sort of create a network that would allow for the resolution of bigger picture doubts even though we don't have one place to point to to get an answer, but if Jews are really all in it together and really doing their utmost to help one another, then we could uh, perhaps get direction through that network of kindness. Excellent idea, beautiful. Anyone else want to suggest anything? Yes, Ethan, please. First of all, thank you, Rabbi. The, the connection between the two, the two Mishnahs um, it's it's really clear, and it's I think it's something that we all experience in our daily life, right? You go to the doctor, you get your blood checked, and you want your certain levels. You have the minimum that it can be at, which is the minimum, right? That's this year, this week's Mishnah. But the ideal is often above or or possibly below those levels, whatever the target is. That that there's this is the threshold that we don't want to breach, and and ideal is is usually notably further away from it. And, and I think that's a beautiful thing. I will share the other day, uh, crossing the street, there was an old woman who literally asked for help crossing the street and I did it. Oh. First time in my life, almost 41 years existing. And I, I had the opportunity to help it all. I want to brag about your youth. Cross. No, it was just a wonderful, <laughs> it was just a, a wonderful experience. What what was also interesting that I thought I would just share. Just it wasn't quote, your mother, right? It was not my mother. No, my mother, thank God, thank God, crossed the street on her own. Very good. 
Um, there is something that I'll bring in from outside the mission and from outside the class that I thought was actually very interesting that I just learned about, because we talk about truth. And I think it is really uh, something that, that we're going to continue to struggle with more and more. And I was listening to the, um, to an interview of the head of legal for Adobe, you know, the, the software firm Adobe that, that has mm -hmm. an, an AI generating um, photo engine. So you can create images through their AI engine. And they, they take a very interesting approach to prove that something is in fact truth and not AI generated. Their, their best scientists looked at it and they said, listen, we can create a tool that'll be about 60% accurate, 60% accurate, which means 40% of the time, they might say that it's true and it's not, which is horrible. Or they may say that it's not true when it is, which is also horrible. So what did they do? They said, no. When we have things from credible sources that we wanna make sure is the truth, we're gonna create a standard that says, this is the truth, and here are the proofs that we are providing. This is the original document that we started with, and we are going to show you every little edit that we made within that image to enhance the image. So for example, I need a little help, image quality, and if they lightened the background or you know got rid of a, in a little spot of acne, you'd be able to see, oh, Ethan looks great in that picture, but they clearly got rid of a pimple and they got rid of some dark, dark things. And I think that's a very interesting way that when you're being honest, and I don't know if there's a, a Torah piece that you might be able to bring into this, but that when you're being honest and you want to be sure people know you're being honest, they've created a system to do that, mostly for industry, mostly for uh, journalism and, and other uh, broadly disseminated things. Uh, that's definitely very interesting, and, and you're right that we're going to continue to struggle with uh, truth. You also summarized the Mishnah very well. Um, do I know if how the Torah teaches us to make sure that when we're speaking, it's clear that we're speaking the truth? Um, there's really a Talmudic principle that says that truth is self-noticeable. It's called Nikarin Divrei Emet. And that kind of leads us to the thing that if we're really wondering if what we're hearing is true... Uh, there's probably a lot that is not true. <laughs> I kind of it's 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 very interesting the way that it uh, is uh, you know it kind of comes out. But um, bottom line is that's something to continue thinking about, and it's very interesting. Thank you. Yes. Okay. I think we're good for this, and we'll move to the Torah. Everybody good?